You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Kosob here with perhaps one of the greatest fellows of all time. 2016 fellow Nora Gilbert is here. She was big-timing us for a while, but she finally agreed to come on. Excited to talk to her. Let's get to it. Hi, Nora. Hi, Eric. How are you? So is it fair to say you were big-timing us? Were you waiting to see how many episodes we did before you got on? Like, what was the real reason for for stalling? Um, I don't think it would be fair to say that. I think I was uh, traveling a lot for work, and and it, it just didn't align timing-wise. And then the minute I became available, I eagerly followed up to do it. <laughs> so where have you been traveling to lately? Let's see. In 2018, I've been in Washington, D.C. and in Cleveland and in New Orleans for a little bit and in Nashville, Tennessee and Los Angeles. And then what is the reason for the travel? What is the job that you are now doing? Um, The job that I'm now doing is working for an organization called Represent Us. I'm the director of strategic projects and partnerships there, and I've been traveling around on behalf of them to work with different partners across the country to talk about anti-corruption work. And so we've talked a little bit about the work you're doing for New Orleans because you were with a a conference there called the Unrig Conference. Is that true then in every city you're doing some giant three-day conference, lots of people come, or each city has something different? Thankfully not. That was our one annual uh, big conference. Um, in, in each place, it's been something different. In D.C., I was on a panel. In Cleveland, I was uh, working on a school visit with one of the high-profile folks that works with our organization to go talk to young kids about corruption and get them excited about being engaged active citizens. And uh, in Nashville last week, I was meeting with um, agents and managers of country music artists to try to get um, some of them involved with our issue. So when you say corruption, what do you guys define that as? So we use it as an umbrella term to cover a lot of bad behaviors, if you will, everything from um, money and politics to transparency and ethics issues to gerrymandering and redistricting, voting reform, open primaries, um, basically looking at all of the ways in which our government doesn't work and incremental policy shifts we can make to improve those things. Um, And so the way that we like to put it is the way that candidates run is corrupt, uh, the way that we vote for them is corrupt, and the way that they govern once in office is corrupt. And even in um, a Citizens United world, there are changes we can make to, to improve all of those areas. So the people on your team and in your office, are they just super cynical, jaded folks? Because this is a very important thing that you're doing, but it's also super sad if everything from beginning, middle, and end is corrupt. Uh, no, actually, I think it's the opposite. I, it's, um, it's a bipartisan organization, and I think right now that's more exciting than ever because it's so rare to have, at least to me, it feels very rare to have a unifying issue in this particular political climate. And, and progressives and conservatives at the grassroots really do share the same values about wanting a government that works for them. Um, and so we find it, it to be a, a very hopeful thing that there are grassroots activists across the country, across the political spectrum, coming together to pass laws in their communities to fix this. And the language about corruption isn't meant to be very doomsday. It's meant to speak to a broader audience than the way that we've perhaps traditionally been talking about this issue. So 
um, only a, about a quarter of the country actually identifies as liberal and is registered as Democrat. But this work has historically sat in um, that part of the country and in those converse, in conversations by liberals to other liberals. And in doing so, we're not necessarily talking to the other 75% of the country that shares a lot of these values. And the word corruption is language that we know speaks to conservatives and moderates in addition to progressives. And so it's purposefully, it's purposeful language to try to be more inclusive to what motivates and inspires different people across the political spectrum. So then of all the corruption that your organization is tackling, it's like for you personally, what is your most uh, egregious form of corruption, which is the one that you would want to stamp out first if you could stamp out any of it? That's a good question. Um, I would say organizationally, we don't have a hierarchy of the of the different issue areas. Um, so speaking as just a individual, I would say that making it possible for everyone to vote feels like a <laughs> like a fairly necessary first step in order to accomplish a lot of the other things. So um, different ways that we can effectively enfranchise more, not only more communities to vote, but also um, different candidates to be able to run than those who might otherwise be viable in traditional politics. Um, I, I think that's very exciting. I think that public financing of elections is very exciting. And there are models already underway across the country in Seattle, for example, a really cool pilot program that's working super well with democracy vouchers that um, does really change the way that it changes who runs and it changes the way that those people running interact with their constituents in the campaigning process. And then once they're elected, because it just really quickly shifts the um, accountability structure and they can go from being accountable to just a small group of very wealthy folks with deep pockets that support their campaigns to the whole community that elected them. Um, so I think that stuff's pretty exciting, but I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that any one thing is more important than That's another. All it's all bad. We have a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, and then you are younger than I am, so you might be more optimistic, but do you feel like in your lifetime, we'll see the reversal of Citizens United and we'll see the removal of uh, the unfettered free for all super PAC silliness of, of money just being dumped onto everything? Um, I don't, I don't know. I hope so. I think in this court, I don't necessarily see that happening, but I do think there are smart strategies already in progress to to weaken and effectively dismantle components of it that that might be exciting. Um, but I, I think I think I mentioned this earlier that even if Citizens United stands. The, there were a lot of things that were broken before 2010 in the way our government works. And so there's a lot of work we can do outside of Citizens United. Um, and I think that we can, we, we can do our best to, to change that in our lifetime. I sincerely hope it happens, but I don't want to only have our eye on that prize as the end all be all of what needs to happen to make our government function properly. Cause I think there are a lot of smaller steps that are much more winnable and feasible right now. So I want to walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And maybe one last question on this point you're talking about engaging in a bipartisan way and engaging conservatives on this idea of corruption. I guess I'm encouraged to hear that, but then I also see since Trump was elected, how all the things that bothered conservatives when Obama was in presidency 
don't bother them anymore, right? The, the same issues of private e- email servers all of a sudden don't matter. Security things don't matter. Nepotism doesn't matter. All these things don't matter anymore as long as your team is in power. Do you find that when you're talking to people on the ground about corruption type things, is there really actually consensus where a conservative and a progressive would look at the same case study on corruption and both say, oh yeah, that's corruption, even if the corrupting person was identified as either a progressive or conservative or a Democrat or a Republican? Are you seeing people being honest to the actual idea and value of what corruption means? So I'm not, I don't want to speak for our organizers who are on the ground doing this actual work, but what I, what I will say is that um, we have proof of concept in our policy wins. We have coalitions of people across the political spectrum in Tallahassee, for example, in, I think it was, it was 2014, a group of progressives and conservative activists joined together to pass the first citywide anti-corruption act with overwhelmingly cross-partisan support. And that effort was led by the head of Florida Common Cause and the head of the Florida Tea Party, who have never worked together on anything and might never work together on anything else. But on this issue, they are fully aligned. And, um, you know, what happens outside of this issue, I don't want to, you know, speak to the hypocrisy that that you're alluding to. I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm not like on the ground engaging with a lot of these folks on a daily basis. But Florida, that Tallahassee example is just one of many that we have from across the country of people putting aside their partisan differences that might exist in other issue areas to focus on working on this one together. And I think that's that's what's exciting to me about it. Got it. When we come back, I'll ask Nora some other questions not related to corruption. I'm sure she's excited about that. Thanks for listening to The Zag. We'll be right back. All right, Nora, we're about halfway through the 2018 Institute with the 2018 Fellows. We've done two weekends. They got their third one coming up on March 10th and 11th. What do you remember about the the kind of first part of the NLC experience when you were a fellow in 2016? Um, that's a good question. I I remember the interview process very well. <laughs> oh, we remember it too. <laughs> I, I had a feeling you were going to ask me about that, but you've uh... You've held off for now. I'm impressed. Um, but I, 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 it was a, it was a really exciting first few weeks. Um, I remember sitting in the in the back corner. Well, that makes it sound like I was a rabble rouser in a way. I don't mean to, but uh, like looking around the t- no, I wasn't. Um, but looking around the table and just being so impressed by this group of people that I somehow had been given the opportunity to join and you know, call it imposter syndrome, call it whatever. But I just remember thinking like, how did I, how did I do them into letting me into this room? I was just so overwhelmingly inspired by everybody's stories there. And I think that, um, that respect only grew from there. So it was a really exciting community to, to build that started off on a, on a strong foot. And I had just moved back to LA a couple months before and had been, um, very eager to, build relationships like that. And um, it was exciting to have an opportunity to to do it in such a such a fun way. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. So you were where before moving back to LA? Um, I had moved back from the Bay where I was up there for grad school. Um, but before that, I had been in New York for a few years. And before that, I had been um, in Connecticut for a few years for college. So I 
And that makes it sound like I went to Yale and people say, oh, I was in Connecticut for college. But I didn't. I went to Wesleyan. <laughs> um, I heard you, Raz Lucerito, for working in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. So I feel yes. the need to clarify. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't lived in LA for nine years and I was very excited to come back, but was really, um, was, was really curious about how I would go about building the community that I had, had had in those other places that I'd lived since college. And NLC was a great way to, to do that. And then what do you want to see LA do right now as a city? I feel like there's, a lot of interesting conversations about the, the the third LA coming. I hear that a lot, right? You had the first LA, which was, it was growing very much like a streetcar kind of city. A little bit of Hollywood stuff is forming. The second LA is the freeways and the cars and like really Hollywood and smog. And then we're sort of now at this point, we're trying to figure out a third way where it's, we're tired of the congestion. It's really expensive to live here. Uh, where are we going to go? Like, what do you... What do you feel like is the, the thing that LA should pursue the most vigorously right now? Wow, that's a that's an interesting question. I think that um, what excites me about LA is the not just the scale that the city and county is operating on in terms of the impact that that policy decisions can have and how many people they can reach and how much land it can cover, but um, I mean we have not only a fairly progressive mayor and city council, but we have four or five LA County board of supervisors who are progressive Four or five are women. It's, I think it's a very exciting time in local government here. And there's a lot of, you know, for better, for worse, it's sort of like a race to the top for how great can LA be relative to other progressive bastions in Trump's America. And I think that is a good thing for this city to sort of come out and by city, I mean more County and, you know, metropolitan area. Um, but I, I think that the LA 2028 Olympics, for better or for worse, offer an opportunity for LA to be on a international stage and get a real global spotlight. And I hope that LA uses the opportunity to, to, to spend the next 10 years to really address a lot of the shortcomings that other Olympic cities have and use it as an opportunity to not just make public transit work for tourists, but make public, really invest in public transit for the people who live here and not just make LA look nice for people coming, but focus on this crippling homelessness epidemic that we have that cannot go on for another 10 years. And I think that maybe that outside pressure of the international spotlight um, can add an extra layer on what I already think is good progress and how much the city has invested in public transit in the last few years obviously we have a lot of work to do with affordability and housing and homelessness, but I think the, what happened at the ballots in 2016 here speak to a real openness and um, willingness among voters to take money out of our own tax tax base and out of our own pockets to work on these things. And I, I was excited to see, you know, for whatever happened in the November election of 2016, we did a lot of exciting things in LA and I think it, sort of speaks to the direction that the city is going in the next few years and, and the, um, the values that people living here uh, are, are, are saying are important to them and our government. So I think it's, I'm, I mean, I'm excited for the future, whatever third LA is. And last thing, we're also planning right now with the fellows, the chapter, it's not called the chapter fundraiser, not the fellows fundraiser, the chapter fundraiser in, in June, you played a, 
integral role in the 2016 version and help us raise a lot of money and get a lot of free alcohol. Uh, any advice for the 2018 fellows as they are putting all that stuff together for our June 2nd event, which you can save the date for now? Well, I'm going in to speak with them oh, on you March are? 10th, so I don't want to blow all my Oh, nice. Yeah, hey, okay, now. save it then. I didn't realize you were going in. Is there anyone else coming in with you? Who else is on the on the panel? Um, I think Devin is going oh, in, perfect. and I okay. think somebody from last year, I think Lourdes, is going in. Yeah, she's legit too. All right, save all your secrets then. That's a good point. Well, then that gives us time. We can talk about your actual interview story. So what is funny about <laughs> um, our history with Nora is whenever we do the NLC interviews, so you get past the application stage, you make it to the final round. We do interviews with uh, alumni, like you'd expect, like one-on-one or one-on-two interviews, kind of standard questions. And then we actually do a group component where about 10 or 12 folks come in and we give them a pre-reading article beforehand. And we also added this thing many years ago that's been very helpful called progressive show and tell. So we ask the folks who come in, hey, bring in something to you that is significant that shows your progressive values or, or why you are progressive. And it could be uh, it's something straight ahead as a book or a poster or something super weird. So I'll let you finish the story. But as I remember, it, you were one of the I think, earlier groups in that day and you came in and it was clear that your item was just a banana. So like in my head, I'm thinking, oh, she must have just totally forgot that she was supposed to bring something and was scrambling and looking in her car or in her bag for what might actually count as something progressive that she could come up with a reason why she was have had this item. Is that actually accurate or did you have a plan the whole time? I had a plan the whole time. I'm a little offended, but also I didn't a little flattered. I, didn't that I thought that. I was capable of that bait and switch because that would be that would be good thinking on my so, toes. Okay. so what was the actual item that you had? So the actual item I had was a banana. <laughs> That's correct. And I was in the first group of the day. And I was the first person to go in that oh, group. Not right. because I wanted to be, but because you had begun what would become a pattern of just picking on you you first exactly yeah um so i had at the time i was working in food and agriculture policy and had been for the last several years and i think if i remember the timeline correctly had just returned from doing some research Mm. in costa rica where i was studying in particular the banana and so i've been thinking a lot about it and um what was so interesting to me about the banana is that in the united states it is just this ubiquitous thing that you can find in virtually any community anywhere across the country. It represents ease and convenience and access in a way that few other food items do. But if you trace it back out of the United States, because very few, close to none, um, grow in the United States, um, you find a food chain that is very involved and requires tremendous uh, like human labor input, tremendous uh, natural and environmental inputs, and a lot of chemical and synthetic inputs as well. And on top of that, there are uh, economic and political forces all tangled up in this food chain that result in a great deal of exploitation and corruption. And um, it's a very complex system that in in our daily lives doesn't manifest as such. And I brought the banana as um, sort of a reminder that where we stand in relation to any given item or policy or system or place allows us to see certain things about that and allows certain things to remain hidden and as a reminder to approach our work as progressives in whatever form it takes with a certain amount of 
humility about what we don't know and curiosity to learn more about what that might be. And um, I, I, the backstory of this is that I, I did think about this ahead of time. I did plan why I wanted to do it, but I had no idea if I was totally off base. And, uh, and, and I was like, oh, it's okay. Like, I'll just, I'll let a couple other people go first and we'll see what happens. And I can like adjust how I'm going to say it based on <laughs> how other people present theirs. And then um, you called on me to go first. And I was like, here goes nothing. And at the time, I didn't even know if it went well. And then like I, as I was speaking to you and Tamika and other people in the coming weeks, they're like, Oh, you're the, you're the person who brought the banana. And like down the line, I now it gets, I, I now know it gets used as like an example in emails. And I'm like, I guess that, I guess that was better than I thought it was, it was but great. I was like, these people are going to think I just brought my breakfast. And it turns out you did think I just, I didn't think that true. But then hearing breakfast. you give the speech again, it is as inspiring as memorable uh, as it was the first time. So we knew what we were doing. We, Created a perfect activity that lifted up all of your all of your skills, and we definitely chose wisely. Well, listen, thanks for sharing that story again. Thanks for hopping on, and thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. You can catch all of them in the iTunes Store or Google Play or SoundCloud. We're up over thirty five episodes, and we're also in the midst of a bit of an out of town explosion, if you will. We're talking to a lot of guests in the next couple of weeks who were not NLC LA alums, but alums from other parts of the country. So we'll get to hear some perspectives about what's happening in the Midwest, Northeast, uh, the Rust Belt, you name it. So excited to have those guests come on and share their thoughts on the Zag. Excited that you listened to us today. Thanks for doing it. We'll talk to you soon.